0: Good morning once again everyone. It's very good to be here with you this beautiful Sunday morning when you could be doing all kinds of other things with the beautiful parks right around here and all of the great coffee shops that I always fall in love with whenever I come here. I always said to myself that you can measure the worth of a town by visiting the coffee shop. As we um, come together today, um, something keeps coming up in my mind over and over again that I heard when I was very, very young. Well, not very, very young. Very young as compared to now. Um, It was a song by the people in a chorus line, a a theater um, piece basically. And I keep remembering this song where the dancer says, who am I anyway? Am I my resume? that is the picture of a person I don't know. It always runs through my mind as I um, ask the question, who am I? Am I my resume? It also sort of connected um, with something I saw on, on job search when I was looking on the internet. They had this little line that they, they said, are you hiring a resume or a person? and that made me think because in fact a person is a lot more than a resume and whether a person is right for a job or not is not dependent on what is written on a piece of paper it is dependent on the person's thoughts and feelings and experiences so much more so many of their personal traits all of the things that people pick up as they go about their lifetimes gathering thoughts and gathering insights but we concisely find a way to have a a CV or a resume and try to put down everything that this person is. And during that time, one had to use only one page. So we were told to put down 18, 19, 20, maybe even 30 years of experience on one page to really tell everybody who we were. And when we look at things like the media, we also see where people are trying to be concise, people are trying to be perfect, people are trying to give us answers and ideas in short sentences. One time I was living in Costa Rica and I was watching a newscaster and she was getting ready for this story, it was supposed to be one of those stories right at the site, and she kept saying the sentence as fast as she could and every time she missed up the sentence she said, cut, and then he did it over again, cut. She did this sentence about 10 times until she got it right. But we are told that we should be able to speak like these people the first time. As they go and they practice, as they take all kinds of classes speaking, as they stop and take takes and retakes, they come across as looking perfect. And we are told that we must look like this unattainable goal, basically, when they've been practicing all the time. This shapes the idea about who and what we are, and it always makes us not only dissatisfied with ourselves but with loved ones, with friends, with family. It breaks the social contract. It makes us not listen to people who do not speak like that and who have valuable insight. This dualistic idea, basically, the idea of either all right or all wrong has been leading us in the wrong direction for centuries. And every time we begin to pop up out of that and to begin to get new insight into new things, we're quickly pulled back into the little track that we have been pulled into by dualistic thinking. I am beginning to think that dualism is our new God. It is an invisible God. No one would go down and fall down and say, I worship dualism. But we actually have come to a point where our language is based around comparing things, good and bad, we're always thinking about best and worst. There's only room for one person to be the best. And if one is not the best, one is the best and if the people who aren't the best are there, then they are the worst. And we don't say these things. That's the thing about dualism. It's very magic, a mystical thing that works in the background. So we don't say it, we just feel it. And then we look for feelings and thoughts to justify that feeling. We find ourselves sort of trapped in this fantasy world where we're going into the past, looking at our past occurrences that may have happened the way that we remember them or not because they're very subjective thoughts from something that happened when we were much younger. Then we take these false thoughts and fantasies and we project them into the future and say how the future will be. And we find ourselves fighting these battles over and over again when little Jimmy pushed us down on the schoolyard and scraped our knee and we didn't do anything back, so we feel guilty and we say, well, whenever anybody gets in my face, I'm gonna attack as much as I can. So we are trapped in this idea, you know, of dualism, of past, present, and future, and this stops us from living in the now. It also separates us. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote about this a long time ago in the 1840s, basically. Um, I got a book called The essential essays of Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, And I basically got that one because I didn't want to read all of the essays. So since these were essential, I knew that I'd have it all if I read these. But it was very interesting. Um, I'll change a little bit of the wording that he used because he used the word man a lot. Um, So I'll use soul. Um, Basically he said, that there were many souls. He said that every human being was like an individual soul. You had the, the doctor, the mechanic, the priest, all of the people doing many works, the farmers and all these people were individuals. They worked, they made a living, they helped support the families, they helped build up the community, but they did this from an individual sense. But he also said that there was one soul. He said from the bigger view that all the people working together in this community was one community. And he even went further, and he not only talked about human beings, but he talked about plants and animals and all of nature being part of this one soul. And his idea was as soon as the human being could not hold those two things together, soon as the human being lost the sense of being part of the whole and concentrated on only the self, we would be a lost. We would move into the destruction of nature, destruction of the quality of life for everyone, and we could not have that connection that brought that cre- creative energy for, through us that helped create and maintain the whole anymore. Of course, that hasn't happened. <laughs> but, um, but it's very interesting that he was talking about this all the way back in the 1840s, And he was talking about the danger of what happened later when people decided to have a war against nature, to conquer nature. And as a result of that, we are living now with all of the things that are happening, all of the global warming, all of the species dying, 70 or 80,000 a year, all of this horrible stuff happening because we have separated ourselves from everything else in our minds, when in actuality, we are not separate. So nowadays there is a call to live in reality. Many of the great speakers, including Ralph of Waldo Emerson and Brian Swim and even the Stoics, spoke of something called virtue. Virtue was basically living as a response to reality instead of fantasy. It was living in a response to the world and situations where we did not blame a deity or a god in anger for what happened to us but accepted what happened to us and learned to learn from it and move with it and deal with it instead of having a dependence on something outside of us, outside of ourselves. And today we are really called to live these lives of virtue today. But one of the first things that we must get rid of is the idea that dualism is the underlying foundation for everything in the world. Because if we really look deeply at the ideas of dualism, the ideas like up, down, black, white, good or bad, we will find that these things really don't exist. The extremes that we speak about are not real. There is no all good or all bad. There is no all black or all white. There is no up or down even. It all depends where you're standing. If one person is on the North Pole pointing up and the other is on the South Pole pointing up, it's not the same direction. Now, to deal with this, scientists said, well, how we judge up is it's pointing away from the center of the Earth. But then you see when the men landed on the moon, what happened to that belief? If they pointed down at us and we were pointing up at them, well, which one is up and down? They're pointing away from the center of the moon. You see, so we've been living this fantasy world where we created this dualistic thinking for a tool for a way to deal with the world, for a way to create things, for a way to at least predict a little bit about what we could do in the world to make changes. But along the way something has happened and it has slipped into idolatry, this sort of ninja god that comes and cuts you down every time you discover something new that doesn't fit in. But the problem is that everyone is discovering these things now. We have religion, we have science, we have the arts, we have everything pointing to this whole new way of thinking, ways that people have been discussing in dark rooms and closets for years and years and years, but had never brought into the light. And now people are bringing things into the light. Now even the people who do quantum physics say that we are actually one substance the smallest thing that they could find was that we are these small packets of ribbons of energy, every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we look like, we are all the same substance. Somewhat like the old Trinitarian idea, they used to say, una substantia tres personas, one substance in three personas, but instead we are una substantia omnias de personas one substance in all things, all people, all beings. And we are finally starting to move towards that realization. And just because we are one in the whole does not diminish our individuality. Religion originally meant bending back. It meant that we could live in one place and we could bend back to our origins and then we existed in two places at one time. So what religion was, was living in the paradox. And that living in the paradox stretched the mind and broke it out of the everyday ordinary thinking so that we grew and we learned to understand things, to go beyond our thinking mind into a place where thought and feeling and understanding and tuition, all of those things merge and we experienced truth something that we couldn't always talk about, something that we can't describe in words, but an experience that everyone knows when they have that experience. But all of the thinking and all of the rules and all of the logic and all of the images that we should try to attain, according to the media, stop us from really taking the time to look and see that we are beautiful, wondrous beings as we are beings who are made up of more than 20 trillion cells, all working in unison. Every time I move my hand this way, every cell in my body and every muscle and all of the bones and everything has to readjust itself so that I maintain my balance. Now, am I supposed to look at my stomach and say, I'm a little pudgy, so this is no good? So we've been are tricked by this basically you know we've been living in this fantasy world but it's time to begin to transform ourselves the way Matthew Fox talked about transformation was something he talked about as being work he distinguished work from a job he said that work is something that we do in order to improve our communities and to improve the society. He pointed out there are a lot of things that need to be done that people aren't being paid for. Work is different than a job. And for a time, especially in indigenous situations, they didn't have a name for work or a job because they always worked together in community. For three or four hours they would hunt and get food and once they had the food they needed, They would work together to do whatever else was needed for no pay. So he talked about three different types of work. He talked about the inner work, the outer work, and the greater work. Nowadays, I think it's very important for us to really begin to do the inner work in order to break all of these thoughts and ideas that we've been fed from the time we were born so that we can really come to a clear knowledge of who and what we really are. The inner work can be done through different techniques, through meditation, through prayer, contemplative prayer, through all kinds of things like journaling, deep, deep discussion where one's not afraid to go really deep into his or her sense of belief systems. The inner work can be done many ways. And what the inner work basically does is it pulls in front of us all of these ideas that have been shoved into our subconscious, the many thoughts and stereotypes that we hold in the subconscious that we can't deal with as long as they're there. But as soon as we're able to bring them up and bring them into light, we find that they are not as frightening as they were when we were three or four years old. And we also find that the community in which we live can help dissipate all of those fears and move us into the right direction. But this inner work means reclaiming a lot of our power. Many of us are afraid that we can't do this, that we might go crazy and go running off if there's not a psychologist there to tackle us if we bring these things up. And in a few instances, that might be the case. But if one is in a loving community and group who works together, one can usually confront most of one's fears, especially if that community is one that is always there. And that is the main reason for religious organizations and churches and congregations. The reason that they originally started was to bring us out of the original, the, the regular world into a sacred space that was created, a ritual space, where that didn't interfere with us anymore. And then we could do the inner work necessary in a safe and loving community and then go back out into the world. That was the original meaning of a religious space. And so it's time for us to really begin to start looking at that, to get rid of the independence that we pick up in our American way of life and really begin to see that we have the power to help heal each other and the world, that we are the creative beings that we are waiting for. That we are like Meister Eckhart, the great mystic, once said. He said that we are all the mothers of God who birth the creative energy, the loving presence, into the world, into dark places, by our thoughts and behavior and the work of our hands and hearts. And then when we know this and when we believe this, it doesn't matter if there is some man up in heaven with a spear or a club waiting to whack you in the head. It doesn't matter if there's anything. What happens is that we are, through our creative nature, creating the loving presence ourselves on this earth. And we are the ones who are healing the brokenness on this earth. This is part of the inner work, beginning to heal oneself through connections with others. After the inner work or during the inner work, we can do the outer work. Once we really start understanding who and what we are and seeing the beauty that we have and the intelligence that we have when we all come together with all of our ideas and thoughts and all of the learning and knowledge that we have acquired through life, through all of the generations that have passed before us. Once we begin to see that, we begin to teach others who they truly are. Once again, congregations are set up for that through our adult RE programs our RE programming, Sunday services and all of that, we can create spaces where we can begin to teach people about their own power and their own beauty and we can begin to dismantle all of the ideas and thoughts and fantasies that we picked up. This is the outer work. The outer work can also take place wherever we are out in the world, in our workplace, in schools, anywhere. And it takes place when we begin to treat the other in a loving and kind way, a way that really reflects the beauty of what some people call God, some people call love. The name doesn't matter, even if you call it toaster oven, it doesn't really matter. What matters is if one can bring love into the world or not. And one can enjoy living in the present, enjoy the very joy that one has, just taking a nice breath on a cool summer day, or looking at the beauty of the stars at night, hearing that very, very quiet, quiet whisper in the night that's hard to describe when one is silent, or the way one feels when they go past the schoolyard and they see children laughing and playing or when they see a loved one do something that is beautiful and great and see that loved one just beaming. That's life. That feeling is life. That feeling, living in the here and now instead of having forethought of how bad things will be in the future. So the outer world is consisting of living in the now, experiencing the now and also helping others to learn to experience the now. And the last type of work, which many people usually jump to first, is the greater work. The greater work is basically working in our society and working in our institutions to change them so that they promote equity, justice, and compassion. So that love is the rule instead of greed or what is is easy to do. That is the last part of the work. But these things, all three of these works need not happen in order or in a row. They can all be overlapping each other, all working at the same time. But it's very important for us that we work on all three of these things. I only go deeply into the inner work because this has often been ignored because many of us have been told, well, you can't be mystic or spiritual and do social justice the dualism again and then we look at people like Gandhi we look at people like Martin Luther King we look at people like Aung San Suu in Burma we look at all of these people who have had some type of spiritual life or some type of belief system that was very powerful that moved them to do the things that everyone said who was impossible. So the fact that one is a mystic does not stop one from being a scientist or a teacher or a doctor or a social justice advocate. In fact, it helps one be more effective at what one does. So as you can see, this dualism, this idea of either or, this idea that there is only one who is the best, there is this model person I have to be, has really diminished what we as individuals can do. It has caused us to give away our power as creative beings in order to help create a system for someone else. But it's time for us to take that back. There is a movement going on. There is this paradigm shift that's going on right now. It's like a river just rushing down through the stream. And now is the time for us to reawaken to who we really are, to reawaken to the beauty of humanity, the kindness of humanity, the fact that we are all winners or we would never be here. Brian Swim, the physicist and the mathematician, once talked about the universe. He said that the universe was endless and boundless. And he was talking about how all of these stars were moving away from the center at 2.5 million miles per hour, basically, through space, and that the universe was becoming something. We had no idea what it was because we could never see the end. We didn't even know the shape of it. But the major thing he said was, so in that case, When we think of the center of the universe, we realize that the center of the universe is everywhere. So what does that mean? It means if you think you're the center of the universe, you're right, but so is everybody else. Very interesting, it goes beyond the dualistic split and brings us back to reality, brings us back to the place that we belong, the place where we can say, here we are, just who we are. And the chances are that we'll be the stars, the reflection in each other's eyes, the image of where our love will rise, making up for time we've lost. You and I have paid the cost, the time we spent away so long, seeking out the right from wrong. May we seek this out together and find it as we begin to walk in love and build the community that every human being really wants. I think that human beings only want one or two things, basically. The first is on the hierarchy of needs, food, clothing, a place to sleep, all of that. The second, however, is a place where they can go and be loved regardless of what they say and what they do and where they can be challenged openly if they're doing something that harms other people and still be loved. That is the thing that everyone wants. And through the crude tools of our social justice and anti-racism work, we break down the walls, break down the barriers, and we begin to heal the community by bringing people back together who have been separated, sometimes by mistake, but sometimes purposely through false ideas of who and what we truly are. Here we are just who we are. So let us celebrate life and joy and celebrate our being together. Amen.